0: Thank you. Well, that's fun. The object of these kinds of things is not maximum entertainment, but maximum engagement. While we have children focused on what's going on, it gives us the opportunity to share Bible truths with them. We have two more days to do that in the school chapels this week, Thursday and Friday. If you would pray for us during that time, that would be a big help. You say, what time? Any time before noon on Thursday and Friday. There is in all likelihood a chapel service going on, and so please be praying for us during that time. I used to think years ago, Because I would say when I was 10 years old, I surrendered to preach when I was 15. I used to think years ago that if I just lived in the first century, if I had the opportunity to hear Jesus teach, if I had the opportunity to see the miracles that he did, if I had the opportunity to follow him and to walk with him, I'd just always be locked on. I would always be 100%. I'd be passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ. I just figured that was the case. And then one day the Spirit of God brought to my attention a verse in the Gospel of Mark. So if you look with me to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. The Gospel of Mark chapter 6. And there was a verse here that let me know that those who were closest to Him, those who were closest to the Savior, in Mark chapter 6, those who were closest to the Savior were not always passionate about the things of God. But there was instead an occupational hazard. An occupational hazard. And I'll tell you, it is a hazard to every child of God. If we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap. Mark chapter 6. When you go to the gospel of Mark, you know you're going to a gospel that's written by a man that was not one of the apostles. Mark, we call him the comeback kid. Mark had actually washed out to a certain point in the ministry. In fact, he had traveled with Paul and Barnabas. He had left Paul and Barnabas high and dry. And when it came time for Paul and Barnabas to travel again, Barnabas wanted to bring Mark back onto the team. But Paul would not have any of that, not at all. He left once, he's liable to leave again. He's, he's a weak link in the chain. Nah, Mark's, Mark's not going with us. The contention was so sharp that Barnabas wound up taking Mark with him and Paul wound up taking Silas with him. And then, near the end of Paul's life, he saw that old John Mark was locked on again. He saw that John Mark was valuable, and near the end of Paul's life, he said, Hey, send to me John Mark, for he is profitable unto me. I love that. Failure is not fatal. Failure is not final. Our God has a way of picking us up and dusting us off, and setting us back on the right path—is that not what the Shepherd Psalm says when he says, "He restoreth my soul"? And so we we have here uh, in the Gospel of Mark an account, and we start at near the end of the account as we look at verse uh, verse fifty-two all the way down, Mark chapter six, verse fifty-two, and notice these words that Mark gives us. He says, "For they considered not that they, as the disciples, they considered not." The miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Mountain Avenue Baptist Church. I thank you for the testimony of this place. And I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Sidlowski. I thank you for moving him here nearly 17 years ago. Thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for his good spirit. I thank you, Lord, that he's got a pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart. I thank you that he has a heart for souls. And, Lord, when I'm around him, when I'm around him, I see what it's like to love people and to seek to reach them and, and, uh, and to see them brought to Christ, but also to see them grow. I thank you for this pastor, a pastor's pastor. Uh, Lord, tonight as we look into the Word of God, may you stir our hearts. Uh, my desire tonight is that we would love you more, uh, that we would follow you more faithfully. That we would follow you uh, with more of our heart and uh, as well as our mind, but with more of our heart. And so I pray you'd bless tonight. Oh, dear Holy Spirit of God, may you have enough to work with tonight to draw us closer to our wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. So when we come to Mark chapter 6 and verse 52, there's a term that's used to describe what these disciples are feeling. It's called apathy, they were apathetic. The Bible says they considered not the loaves, the miracle of the loaves, because their heart was hardened. You know, just prior to what we read here in this text, the context reveals to us that there was a miracle that took place. It was the feeding of a multitude of people with just a few loaves and a few fishes. The disciples, the apostles, wanted to send the people home. You remember that. Why would they want to send people home? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they were tired, that's why. They were exhausted, serving has a way of causing a person to be spent when it comes to their energy. And so these men were tired. And, but Jesus does not send the people home. He has them seated in companies. And then there's the, there's the miracle where he feeds a multitude of people with just a few loaves and fishes. And the disciples collect up 12 baskets full. The apostles collect up 12 baskets full of fragments at the end of this miracle. And not once did any of them say wait a minute, we just handed out a few loaves and fishes and we're collecting 12 baskets of fragments and over 5,000 people have been fed. Hey, Peter, there's a miracle going on here. Hey, Matthew, don't miss this. There's a miracle. Not once did that happen. Not once did any of them pause and say, Jesus is doing a creative act here. He is multiplying the fishes, and the loaves to feed this vast multitude. This miracle got right past them. Their hearts were hardened. A word that talks about that their hearts were stupefied, that their hearts were petrified. Now, how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happened with these men. They were overly familiar with sacred things. They were overly familiar with sacred things. And sometimes there's that hazard as you live for God and as you serve the Lord of becoming overly familiar with sacred things to the point where they lose their edge, to the point where they are dulled to our hearing. This can happen to any of us. Oh, especially those that are the most faithful. You think about this for a moment. These men got into the habit of seeing, of observing, of participating in the ministry of Jesus without responding. Now, that could happen to any of us. This is how a hardened heart occurs. This is how it develops. A calloused heart. You know how callouses develop? Through the contact with tools. If you play the guitar, through the contact with the strings. Man, if, if we are christians seeking to grow we have devotions each morning maybe you have devotions at night but the thing is we're in the word of god each day and in addition to that we try to have devotions with our family so we gather the family around the breakfast table we have devotions as a family and then and then in addition to that we make sure we're in church every time the church doors are open sunday morning sunday night in the middle of the week We're there when the church doors are open. In addition to that, we're often taking in the Word of God through the radio or through podcasts. Uh, We're we're taking in the Word of God constantly. And if we are not careful, we can fall into the habit, unwittingly, the habit of, of being exposed to the Word of God, of being exposed to the God of the Word and not responding. How is it possible that Rob Watkins could be exposed to the word of God and the God of the word and not possibly be moved. It happens through a calloused heart. Do you remember when you were first saved and how that when, when the word of God was opened and it was proclaimed, how that God spoke to our hearts? He spoke to our hearts. It seemed like we were growing by leaps and bounds. But after a while, it's as though we no longer hear his voice. Why is that it happens because my heart gets hardened. I get into the habit of taking in the word of God without a response. I check off a box. I cross off an item. I close up my Bible go about my day. But Jesus is about to do something to break through the apathy of these men. No more of just going through the motions. Now I would submit that there's nothing wrong with going through the motions. That's part of being faithful. A part of being faithful, part of being obedient. But you and I know the joy of being faithful with our heart in it. Being faithful not just with our actions, but with our passion. And so let's see what Jesus does to arrest these men out of that apathy. And so we begin at verse 46. Here's verse 46. Mark chapter 6, verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. You immediately recognize this passage. If you're a student of the Bible, there's a storm that's about to take place. This will be the second storm that involves Jesus and the disciples. The first storm that involved them, remember Jesus was in the boat with them. He was asleep. And in that storm the waves were crashing over the sides of the boat the wind was boisterous and these seasoned fishermen were just sure they were going to die and they wake Jesus up and accuse him of apathy they said do you not care that we are going to perish and Jesus rebukes them for not having faith and then he, with a voice his voice he calms the waves and the sea and the wind He says, peace be still and immediately. And remember the response of the men in the boat? They came and they thought to themselves, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So this is the second storm. But that context of the first storm is incredibly helpful because it shows us there's some progress about to take place. And so Jesus has finished feeding the 5,000 plus. He has sent his disciples, his apostles, into a boat to the other side of the sea. They're toiling all night long. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 48. And, when, and he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's between three and six o'clock in the morning, it's still pretty dark out, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. will pause there for a moment. According to the Gospel of John, there are about 20 furlongs across that sea. They should have been by the other side, but the wind is contrary to them. These men, if they thought they were tired at the feeding of the 5,000, they didn't know what tired was. Now they are tired to the bone. And the wind is catching the spray of the sea and soaking these men with that spray. It is soaking through their clothes. It is soaking through their hair. It's soaking through their beards and they're, they're standing in some water, and there's the constant motion and the constant sound of the wind, almost like a jet engine, and it is not letting up, and it shows no sign of letting up. These men are thoroughly exhausted and soaked, and then they see something they've never seen before. Now, when Matthew records this, he records for us also Peter being invited to get out of the boat and Peter walking on the water. Now, when I was a kid in church, We had the flannel graph lessons. Peter walked on the water about four times a year. But they had never seen anybody walk on water in this text. This was all brand new to them. And so when the disciples see Jesus walking on the water, the Bible says their hearts were troubled. They were troubled, and yes, they would be troubled. They'd never seen anything like this. This is unusual. This is kind of spooky. This is this is odd. This is weird. This is creepy. There's something going on here we haven't seen before. It's a phantom. It's a ghost. And then the rumors start. It's a ghost. It's a phantom. We're all gonna die. He's from the nether world. And and Jesus calms them down notice what the bible says here in verse 50 for they all saw him and were troubled and immediately he talked with them and said unto them be of good cheer it is i be not afraid well one of these days i want to preach a message called from fearful to cheerful based on that verse right there from fearful to cheerful because what jesus did he didn't calm the storm yet he didn't say all right fellas calm down let me take care of the storm No, instead what he did is he gave them something to calm their hearts greater than a calm sea. And that is his presence. He did not solve the problem, but instead he interjected himself into the problem. And he was present with them in the middle of the problem. And sometimes we think, God, you don't love me. Why, why the way you're treating me, I wouldn't even treat my own child this way. You must not love me. And we we want God to immediately solve the problem and to take away the issues and to take away the things that are frightening us. But instead what God does is instead of taking it away, he says, Hey, um, I'm right here with you. You don't have to be troubled. My presence will give you peace. You don't have to go through this alone. I'm right here with you. Now Mark, it's believed, got his account of these things from Peter. But under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Mark was guided as to what to write. And no doubt he was given additional revelation as well. Mark reco- or Matthew records for us Peter walking on the water. But M- Mark skips over the Peter account. But let's look on in the text and see what it says in verse 51. And he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased. Hey, Matthew says the same thing, that after Jesus plucked Peter up out of the water, that they immediately got to the ship, and immediately when Jesus got to the ship, the wind ceased. I don't know if you could picture this with me. I'm amazed by this picture. There's not a word spoken. It's simply Jesus' presence in the ship, and in an instant, in an instant, that whirlwind jet engine noise that they've been hearing all night long, that forward and backward motion, the pitching motion as well from side to side, that turbulent sea in an instant is suddenly calm and quiet, and that which had been foamy was now like glass. And these men sit there with their mouths open. In 1986, there was a drought in Galilee. The sea had receded so much that there were things that began to poke up from the surface of the sea. One of those was a fisherman's boat from the first century. It was about 20 feet long. It was about 4 feet high and about 7 feet wide. It had benches in it. These men, when everything got quiet, their mouths must have dropped open. You didn't hear anything. No more wind, no more waves. Maybe you hear a drop of water falling from Andrew's beard, hitting that wooden deck with a thud. Jesus is about to shake these men out of their apathy Look what the next verse says. It says in verse fifty-one. It's the same verse. He went up when he, and he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves. The Bible seems like in this passage, like Mark is taking every word in his limited thesaurus to describe the response of these apostles. He says they were sore, amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And you know, the Spirit of God never throws a word in there as filler. There's nothing in there that is just there to take up space. It all has a significance. It all has a meaning. So he starts with saying that they were sore, amazed in themselves. The word amazed has to do with the mind. It says that these men were intellectually stretched. They had never seen anything like this before. And so they moved from apathy to amazement. They could not wrap their minds around what they had just seen. Oh, that we would be the same way. Oh, that we would have our eyes open to watch as God works in ways we just cannot explain. Miraculous things, amazingly divinely appoint, divine appointments, Others call them coincidences, but it's our God at work. Not only were they amazed, notice what the Bible continues to say, that they were so amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. These words talk about them being rendered speechless. They were astonished for the sake of an outline. They go from apathy to amazement to astonishment. In amazement, they couldn't wrap their minds around what they saw. With astonishment, they couldn't wrap their words around what they saw. They were rendered speechless. They could not explain what they saw. There weren't words enough to describe what they saw. They were rendered unspeakable. They were rendered speechless. They were astonished. When was the last time we let the Lord astonish us? When was the last time we saw something that we just could not wrap up in words? When was the last time we reflected so much on his goodness that we were left speechless, so filled with gratitude that we just couldn't put it into words? They go from apathy to amazement to astonishment. And then they go to what we would call adoration. For this, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew fills in some of the blanks for us, and he takes it even a step further. Matthew chapter 14, a parallel account. And in Matthew chapter 14, we look here at verse 31. Matthew 14, 31, and the Bible says this, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, that is Peter, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. No words only His presence. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped Him. That word literally means they bowed down before Him. That means that those men got off of the little benches that they were seated on and they moved toward the bow of that ship, toward the front of that ship, and they put their head to the deck and they bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ in worship and adoration. The first time that Jesus calmed a storm, they said, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Fellas, he's much more than merely a man. And this amazement and astonishment gives way to adoration. And notice the statement that comes with this. They came and they worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Okay, now, fellas, you have hit it right on the mark. Exactly. Now you know who He is. The Son of God. There are times in my study when I'm uh, preparing for a message and it just seems like the Lord just bursts in on the scene with such a freshness and such a closeness. There are times in our lives where we experience His presence. And we're very careful not to dispel that. There are times where after catching a glimpse of of our God and catching a glimpse of our Savior through the Scriptures, I have to push my Bible forward, scoot my chair back and just get on my knees and just worship, worship God. Not just bow my head and there's nothing wrong with that. Not just bow my heart and there's nothing wrong with that. But to bow my knee and just worship Him and just be there. Sometimes in church services that happens. It's rare, but sometimes God has been so in our midst and we've sensed him moving and he's doing such a special work and there's a sense of his presence. And we we see in reality that as a church, when we gather together in his name, Jesus is in the midst of us. And even though the last song has been sung and even though the last prayer has been uttered, we just don't want to leave. Because God's in this place. We just don't want to leave. But eventually we must. Oh, that God would break through my apathy. And that he would cause me again to be amazed. That my mind would be stretched by who he is and what he does and by his character. And that my vocabulary would be exhausted. Exhausted couldn't put into words what I see God doing. It's just so amazing. And then that that would lead to worshiping him. I think something like this is very well illustrated through an event that happened in the life of a man named William Montague Dyke. William Montague Dyke. This happened uh, many years ago. William Montague Dyke was um, a brilliant student. At a young age, he lost his eyesight Due to an accident, he lost his eyesight, but he had a brilliant mind. It showed up in elementary school, secondary school. He went to a university, and while being at the university, he met a girl. They fell in love, and they planned to get married. She was the daughter of a Royal Naval Naval officer, and the officer knew of a physician, of a surgeon, excuse me, of a surgeon that could reverse William's condition. There was this warning that, that if the procedure did not work, his sight would be irreparably damaged. But there was the good possibility that the procedure would restore his sight. So William gave consent to have the procedure done with this one caveat. He said, after the procedure, I don't want the bandages to be removed from my eyes to see if it was successful until my wedding Day. He had asked the father of the bride if he could marry this man's daughter. He consented. He said, he said the first face I want to see, if it's successful, is the face of my bride. So the surgery was accomplished. It was finished. The day of the wedding came and William was guided by his father, but also by that physician that, that uh, did the surgery. And the building that they were in was like a cathedral. The acoustics were this were such where you just whisper on the platform and it carries through the building and the place was packed. Packed not just because people wanted to be supportive of the wedding, but they knew also that this would be the revealing as to whether William's eyesight was restored or not. There were family, friends, there was family and friends, there was royalty there, military there. They exchanged their vows, exchanged their rings, and it was time for William to kiss his bride. And so his father was standing on one side, the surgeon on the other, and the surgeon removed from his pocket the scissors to cut away the gauze and they began to unwrap the gauze. William kept his eyes closed until it was all unwrapped and then he opened his eyes and people leaned forward. He began to weep. And some people said, oh, what a disappointment. It didn't work. What a disappointment. But the silence was shattered as William very crisply said, you are more beautiful than I ever imagined. And I think that's what it'll be like with our Savior. We catch glimpses of Him now and they're wonderful. But there's coming a time when our faith will be made sight and we'll say, Lord, You gave me glimpses of how wonderful You are. The sense of Your presence, especially during difficult times. But oh, that didn't do it justice you are more wonderful than i'd ever imagined oh may god pierce through our apathy may he give us that sense of amazement astonishment that we might then adore him but we're not done then you know after this event of the storm these guys haven't even dried out there's a work to do they come to a town where there's somebody that needs to be set free from, de- from demonic bondage. And so it's time to get to work. After adoration, it's time to get to work. To let the world around us know about our wonderful Savior. To let the world around us know about our Savior, the Good Shepherd. May God help us. Maybe tonight your heart may be... Callous, that's something between you and God. And maybe you'd ask the Lord, Lord, break through it. I want to hear afresh and anew your promptings. I want to sense, sense your presence afresh and anew. Lord, it's been a while since I've responded to you or responded to your word. Lord, break through that callousness. Make my heart tender again. Now when you do that, it's very likely the Spirit of God may prompt you to do something. Don't shut that off. Don't shut that down. That's God answering your prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that this account is here for us. I thank you that we find out that the apostles were men of like passions just as we are. And that there are times where we can become overly familiar with sacred things to where they they lose their edge, they lose their sharpness. We're no longer moved as we used to be. Lord, I pray you'd break through that. I pray your word and the Spirit of God would break through that. Oh, give us those times and help us to look for those times when we are amazed. Lord, may you do some things that are just not explainable. They're only explainable because you're doing them. May you do things in our lives and in our ministries that, that only you can do. And then you, you get the honor and the glory, and we'd be very quick to give you the honor and the glory. And Lord, may you, may you also at times just render us speechless. Do something so amazing that why to speak would seem to ruin the moment. To speak would seem to be adding our two cents which would just sort of uh, soil what it is that you're doing. I prayed your Lord that you would at times render us speechless. May we just marvel. And may we adore you. May we worship you. Lord, I I don't know why you led us to preach this message. We had some options, and, but you, you led us to this tonight. And maybe it's for my own heart. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it does in, in, in our hearts. But maybe it could be too, Lord. There's somebody in this room or somebody online that their heart has just been callous toward the things of God lately. And it's showing up in how they treat the people around them, the people that are closest to them. And we, we have a, a phrase we use to identify this, this refreshing. We call it personal revival. And Maybe that's what we need. To once again be enamored by our God. To be enamored by our Savior. Oh, may it be so. Our heads are bad and our eyes are closed. You know, God has a way of uh, speaking to our hearts and bringing us to an opportunity to do something with what he's shown us. And I would urge you tonight, If God speaks to your heart through these things to do something with that. And maybe you would commit yourself. You'd say, you know, I'm going to pray that God would break through that callousness. I'm tired of just going through the motions without my heart in this. I'm tired of just going through the motions. Oh, I want to love God with my heart. I want to love God with everything that's in me. I want to serve him with everything that's in me. Oh, Lord, break through the callousness. Make my heart sensitive again to the leadings of the Holy Spirit of God and to the teachings of the Word of God. Maybe that would be your prayer tonight. And you would just let God know that that's doing something with what we've heard tonight. Lord, again, I thank you for Mountain Avenue Baptist Church. And I thank you for the testimony of this place. And I thank you for the good spirit that is here. I thank you for the faithful people that serve you and that, that love you by loving others. And, Lord, I pray you'd keep your hand on this place, and I pray that you'd continue to give the folks here strength and grace and just a great spirit. But, Lord, we've been at this long enough to know that there are times when we could just slip into just going through the motions. And I pray that you'd pierce through that apathy in our hearts. Stir us again, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.